Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to part two of the Eddie Temple Morris Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm not going to do a big, long intro for this one because I've done the the intro that ticks all the boxes that I have to tick at the beginning of episode one. So just big thanks to 76 for producing this one and let's get on with it. This is part two of Off the Beaten Track podcast with the wonderful Eddie Temple Morris. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. 
Right, welcome back to part two. Um, and sorry for being so verbo <laughs> verbose and, and wearing out the battery in, in Stu's uh, digital recorder. I apologise. They're apologize. cheap batteries, Eddie. Don't worry, mate. Um, I will invoice you for them, though. Um, OK, so we're going to jump straight back in um, with, with track five. And, uh, and that's the song that soundtracked your clubbing years, Ed. And I, I was looking forward to this one, and I'm glad that you've, you've given us two as well because I just thought, this is Eddie Temple Morris, and, and, and the fact that you've already mentioned you, you, you kind of spurned university to start hanging around in clubs, which is, which is great, and, and, and you've, you've already sort of said roughly when that was. So I know you're still playing music in clubs to this day, so we've got years and years of, 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 of club culture to discuss. So um, do you want to... Can you remember which one you picked first? So, well, there's, there's two different phases. Of, you know, it was an interesting question for me, that what soundtracked your club years. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that I had two very distinct and separate club phases of sure. my life. The first one was what we kind of touched on was my leaving university and uh, going to, and, and I just became a club person. Like in, in um, 83, 84, that kind of time, 85 in London, I just fell into club culture with the enthusiasm that I fall into anything that I really love. Um, was this post Blitz or was that still going so on? So Blitz, was it the Camden Palace, was it? Yeah, I believe so. Um, so it was, it was just post Blitz, yeah. So Blitz was, um, as I recall, Simon um, Hobart uh, was one of the guys behind Blitz. And then he, he left Blitz to form Kit Kat uh, with a K, with two Ks. At 21 Oxford Street. So my entry into that into that world was was my friend Rob Milne, who was uh, working at Tower Records, and we lived together. And um, he he said, "You've got to come and, and these, there's these guys that I know. In fact, we we went to school with, but one of them got expelled in the O level year, called Steve, and he's the DJ at the Boy Club. It's this amazing club. So I went I went there and I just like fell in love." with Steve, with, with Daryl, with the two the resident DJs, and with the club and with the people in it, the whole the music that they were playing, absolutely loved it. And I just, from that moment, I went every single week. And so Boy Club was, I think, on a Saturday, uh, Saturday night at Studio 21. So it's like, that's a really good slot. And then Kit Kat was on the Friday. And then, and I went, so I, I just kind of discovered, I threw the Both Boy in Club. in the same venue. Yeah, yeah, and I discovered the Kit Kat. And then through then starting to work at the Kit Kat, doing flyers, and I designed their flyers and helped them with decoration. And then we all kind of, I just fell in with this kind of community of people that were really into music. And they were DJs and promoters and, you know, just people who were really into it. And we started this club on a Wednesday at 21 Oxford Street called Iron Orchid. And then I started a club at, uh, uh, not Gossips, one of those places in New Burlington Street. I forget the name of the club, called Kinetic. And it was just all, and so basically... As, as, we went, as a promoter? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I mean, that, was, that, was, that was sort of later on in the story. But I basically, as a, as a club person at that time, used to go to a different club every single night. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was, like, helping to run clubs, they, it's that 
it's that thing that you have when you have an airline and you always fly free on other people's airlines. Yeah, of course. I always got in because I always knew the guy that was yeah. knew all about. You know, is it like yeah. then I knew the bouncers or I knew the the door girl as they always were at the Bat Cave um, in Gossips or at uh, Asylum, which was the only night where they lay in straights at Heaven. Um, and, so there was, and there was Alice in Wonderland as well. I think it was my, so. There was like Alice in Wonderland, Kit Kat, Asylum, Boy. Uh, Iron Orchid, uh, Camden Palace, whatever that club was called there, that Rusty Egan and Boy George and those guys were all doing. So that was, was like that six. Club for Heroes? I, f- I forget, but it was just one night. Maybe it was a Thursday. I, I, I forget which night of the week it was, but there was one night of the week that we, was all, we were always at Camden Palace, as, a, as it was called. So there. what and Rusty was played always across there. these clubs? It was like, well, so across these different clubs. So, so the, the core for me was like goth yeah. and glam rock, you know, the, which was, the, and, and, and kind of electronic new wave. So like, so Gary Newman and Cabaret Voltaire. Yeah. And uh, I guess a, a bit of throbbing gristle and... But then that was always partnered up with glam rock. There'd always be the glammier parts of David Bowie, certainly T-Rex. And then there would be the goth bands like Specimen and Sisters of Mercy. And uh, um, oh, absolutely Bauhaus. God, Mm. Bauhaus were like Mm. one of my absolute favorite bands at school, you know, and Southern Death Cult and the Death Cult. Because cult hadn't happened at that that time. It was still, Death Cult was still going. And uh, so, yeah, it was that. It was those gothy bands, you know. And, uh, yeah, like I say, like every single night. So that, and and the, the tune that, that soundtracked that was Cabaret Voltaire. Mm. I mean, and we, where we come back to Sheffield again. Yeah. Um, and I think I've chosen this fascination, but you, you, could, you could quite happily have Sensoria too. Um, but I guess that came a little bit later. But, yeah, this fascination was the first Cabaret Voltaire tune that made me think, oh my gosh, this is something really special happening here. I mean, they played nag, nag, nag and stuff, but that was the one. I loved the the softer end of what they did, the less kind of Dardaist end of what they did when they were signed to Virgin Records. Yeah. And then, so so that's that part of clubbing. And God, I don't know how I did it. I guess I was just young. And so... I had young and I had, you know, I used to get... the, the, The door guy at Studio 21 was called Baby. I very much doubt that he's still alive now so I wouldn't be uh, risking any kind of um, court case by saying that I used to get um, speed off him uh, because he was so fat I mean morbidly obese like the fattest guy I've ever seen in my life in my memory and uh, incredible bouncer (laughs) and really lovely guy and then and he used to always go Eddie can you get me some get me my dinner and I would go out and he'd give me whatever you know a fiver or whatever no it wouldn't even be like a couple of quid in those days and I would go and get him his dinner which was two rotisserie chickens (laughs) 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 from from somewhere in Oxford Street or around Tottenham Court Road and uh, and I would come back with two rotisserie chickens in those in those foil bags and then he would give me one of the pills that he'd been prescribed by his doctor as a morbidly obese, uh, you know, big black Probably man. pure ephedrine. Yeah, well, yeah, it was just speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, and, and, and me and my mates used to just, like, snort that. <laughs> that, would, that would see us all right till six o'clock in the morning. Brilliant. And then, and, uh, so, yeah, like, dif- different night every single week. Like, I just had one night off. And so, within them clubs, and, and you said you was, you know... Helping doing flyers and things like that. Had you, had you started DJing at all at this point? 
just like no, not not de- well, a little bit. I, I I wasn't DJing at any of those clubs. Right. But I was certainly in the booth with the guys that were. Yeah. And if you know, they both of them need to, to to go for a piss or do something more chemical. I would m- put you know segue the next two records. Yeah. You know, and be cock a hoop about it. Of course. Um, but yeah, no, I got a gig and. The hilarious thing about this this is that I found out when it, for Trailblazers, the podcast that you very kindly said that you really liked, with that I do with Nick Hawks, um, the electronic music podcast. When we interviewed Paul Oakenfold, I discovered that I had my first residency before he did, way before he did, because you know he was still like you know he was still chancing around yeah. in the music business, and um, and I had a I had a residency if you want to call it yeah. in Earl's Court in a restaurant called Sam's Pizza Disco. That's genius. But, yeah, yeah. Which was basically it's a pizza <laughs> place because pizza you know doing pizzas is like a license to print money. Yeah. And this guy just thought that it would be. And it, was, it turned out to be an Iranian guy. He had no idea that I was half Iranian. I think he would just have probably um, shot himself if he found out who my mum's family were. But he, but um, he, he hired me just as a DJ. You know, in those days, nobody, the, the only people who were, D, were DJs were people with a record collection. Oh. And hardly anybody, you know, per capita had a record collection. It was you know, yep. very, very few, and knew, knew, like, you know, that record collection inside out. Um, whereas now anyone can be a DJ, you know, you yeah. can DJ with your phone and, and lots of people do, mm. <laughs> but in those days, like, you know, so he, he'd got in touch with someone that I knew and they said, Oh, this guy needs a, a DJ for this place. And they're paying whatever it was, 20 quid. And I was like, yes, I can actually get paid to play records. Oh my God. And I'd go there and I'd play like my records, yeah. like, you know, and, and which, would just clear that floor, yeah. like because I was playing Dead or Alive, yeah. but but pre yeah, you spin me round Dead yeah. or Alive, and like you know and Japan and yeah. Bauhaus and all of those goth bands, you know, in this in this pizza restaurant in Earl's Court. So uh, I you know I, I certainly had no idea about how to read a crowd um, in those days. It was my first gig, and I was just so happy that I was yeah. getting I was getting you know money that I was going to be spending on yeah. on lentils, beer, and spliff. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I needed. You know, I was like on the dole in Thatcher's Britain. And, yeah. and I had my first residency many, quite a few years. I think many years before Paul Oakenfold had his yeah. first one, which I love. That's, that's a funny thought. Pizza disco. That's the future, that is. I'll tell you. <laughs> all over that. Yeah, if, yeah, what's that amazing pizza place in the East End? Um, uh, Voodoo Rays. Yeah, Voodoo Rays, if you're listening. You know, you're the only people that I would do a residency for <laughs> in a in a pizza establishment. You're, uh, you're and if, if you want to hear Eddie talk about pizza, then go and listen to the hardcore listing episode that Eddie done um, with with Chris and I. Um, where you done the top five foods that you like to put in your mouth, and, and yes. when off on one about a pizza oh. that um, you had. It was overseas, I believe. Yeah, that yeah, that is the best pizza in the world. Yeah, on the island of Gozo, yeah. at a place called Marshok. If That's anyone it. is a pizza, if anyone's a pizza nut, and I'm, I have extensively researched it, researched, researched this, and had pizza, uh, you know, allegedly the best pizza in Italy, <laughs> in New York, in Britain, in all loads of different countries. But the best one is on this little island off Malta in. The, the Mediterranean. Trust you, me. You can hear Eddie salivating over that uh, <laughs> on the Hardcore Listening Podcast. Go and give it a listen. Um, so before we get on to the, your sort of second track for, for your clubbing years, um, like living in London, obviously clubs were at your disposal, as you said you went sort of like every night of the week. And, yeah. And it was, let, let's call it alternative clubbing, can we call that? Yeah. 
yeah. Oh, yeah, you asked what the music was, and I didn't really fully answer. Because it, it, it was kind of different. It was, the, the core of it was like glam rock and goth. Yeah. But it would have different slants depending on where we would go. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, there would be the Hippodrome, Peter Stringfellow's yeah. Hippodrome, where I would regularly see George Michael dancing with one of his backing singers. Because yeah. I was about to say, I was about, that was my, my next question was, did sort of more mainstream clubbing ever appeal to you? Because... You know, for for a lot of me and my mates, there'd, there'd be a certain night in the local t- like club in town where where you'd uh, eighteen, you'd go just to get drunk and chat to girls. And, yeah, and it, well, it was... I, I mean, what I really loved was the alternative side of it. Yeah, certainly. But the thing is, you know me, I just love good music. Yeah, and I love a bit of Wham. Mm. And you know, like playing a Wham, hearing a Wham record in, in yeah. the Hippodrome on that dance floor that came up yeah. and down with all the lights on it was was a joy. Yeah. Um, and but then we'd go to. Um, Alice in Wonderland, where Clive, doctor, as in doctor and the medics, would play like a, a more psychedelic kind yeah. of LSD, yeah. sort of 60s West Coast America kind of vibe and, take and, on and, it. And, and, and as you said about Dead or Alive before you spin me right man, doctor and the medics were a very different band pre-Spirit in the Sky, really, yeah, weren't they? Well, very yeah, sort of psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. It was. They were an LSD rock band. Mm. They were an LSD kind of like psych rock band, yeah. like a stoner rock band, really. Yeah. And then you had uh, the Batcave, which was the the uh, the club that was formed by the band around the band Specimen, uh, and and that was real solid goth. And they did that for a time. It's a great name for a club. <laughs> yeah, they did that. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, oh gosh, yes, I I, I I lost my virginity to the door. That she called herself this. This is not me being a misogynistic. She called herself a door bitch. Um, at at the back cave. At the back cave. Um, so that that's was in. Good, that's such a good name for an album. Yeah. I lost my opportunity. <laughs> Door bitch at the back cave. Uh, Laurie, Laurie, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to to call to remind you of of, of that. Uh, probably oh, quite horrible brilliant. experience. But uh, um, yeah, she had amazing hair. Gosh, that's one of the best hair I've ever seen. Uh, but the, yeah, so that was at, for a time in the. I think they called it the cellar bar in uh, in heaven. Uh, which was access, had a, it was accessible from the street, I think, or I can't remember. But it was we used to have to go into heaven to to get in, which was a kind of a no go zone in, on certain days to get into the back yeah. cave, and that was real, real hardcore goth in there. And then there was the there was the Camden Palace, which was a bit more kind of bit a bit more uh, kind of new romantic yeah. and, uh, and and a bit more pop driven. Yeah. Um, and what else was there? You know, Boy had its own kind of. Th- very eclectic uh, playlist. Kit Kat was a bit more glam rock. Yeah, and uh, I guess you know glam rock was the one was the one genre that would be that would be you know you would hear T Rex yeah. in every single one of those. Do you know clubs. what Eddie? Do, doing this podcast, <coughs> the amount of people that have spoken about Boland oh. and and like unbelievable, like people that I wouldn't necessarily. Have expected to have chosen like the, the the amount of references that Alan McGee made re- regarding Bolan was, was was endless. Mark Moore um, spoke endlessly. That was what made me think of it. It was just like I'm sure at some point you must have crossed paths. Yeah, that was later. That was that was later on. Yeah, that was like uh, late eighties, I guess. Well, so um, this is this is uh, this is early eighties. Yeah. Um, so then. So then, which what which brings us to then to my second real because I kind of went out of clubs and into into just gigs into being in a band. I answered yeah. an ad. I, no, I didn't answer an ad. I 
I, uh, well, I, it was advertised, but I, I got word of mouth that um, one of my favorite goth bands, the Southern Death Cult, one of the bands that had come off that family tree, yeah. were having auditions to find a bass player. And they were signed to RCA, RCA at the time. They were called Getting the Fear. So I, and I got that audition and I, and I joined that band. So I disappeared into this kind of post-punky, post-neuromantic-y, post-goth, um, like late 80s music thing. And I moved to Bradford uh, to be in this band. And I kind of, so I, came, I went out of clubs, really. And, and, th and then th th that stage through then being in bands, being a session musician, falling into radio, I didn't touch clubs. Like when, when rave happened, Acid House happened, I was not involved in any way. I've said this before, it was just a racket that kept me up um, at festivals that I wanted to get to sleep at. And that's one of the things that I really like about your podcast. So Nick's got that covered. Yeah, because exactly. And, that's and why you, I asked him to, to do that. And it's me. really good to, you know, the Trailblazers is, is pretty much a really good history of electronic music, isn't it? That's what it was supposed to be. I mean, the, the story of how Trailblazers happened is a really interesting one. It was when I, uh, when I uh, said to my dear friend and boss at the time, Chris Bourne, absolutely brilliant and lovely man, boss of XFM at the time, uh, and you've just told me he's going to be... Oh, are we allowed to say? <laughs> okay, maybe not. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about what... So, edit point there. So, Chris Bourne, absolutely lovely man. So, he was the boss of XFM. And when I said to him, Chris Moyles is coming. And when he does, I want to just have it... I don't want to play it's him or me game, because I've heard. And, uh, like... My agents made it absolutely clear that he, you know, he is coming, even if you say he isn't or you don't know that he is. it's happening upstairs. Uh, and like, I, I just don't want to be here. I, I don't want to be involved. Um, you know, I, I've got my own reasons and I, I just don't want to, I didn't want to be associated. I didn't want to be in the same office. I didn't want to be in the same brand. And I, and I thought that the way that that happened was, uh, was cynical. Um, the way that, you know, XFM listeners, you know, had had a vote for the most hated celebrity of all time. And they had voted Chris Moyles over and above Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and, and then like the, the Richard Park or whoever, yeah, Richard, Richard had, had uh, done this deal to bring him back. And I, behind closed doors, I thought that that was uh, just um, too upsetting for me as an XFM fan. And I didn't want to be involved. So I said to Chris, look, can we um, organize a dignified exit is exactly the words that I used. Let's together, just, you just tell me, you know, when he's starting and when, when you, in, in fact, when you're going to trail his starting, because I refuse to have a trail for that man on my show. So, uh, and he said, that's really cool of you to say that. Thank you. And, you know okay, we'll, 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 we'll do that deal and, and like, we'll, we'll make sure that you, you know, exit in, in a nice, dignified way. And, I, and I'll let you know when he's starting. <clears throat> so I said, and when you start, the, you know, like when you start the trailer, trailers on the Monday, that will be my last Friday. So, and they were trying to get me to sign a contract. 
And uh, I just, I, so I refused to sign the contract. I, I was still under contract. And I just, I said, you're all, you're all right with my tearing this contract up, aren't you? And he, and he said, yeah, of course, of course. You know, you, gosh, you've been here for 15 years. You know we love you and we want you to stay. But, um, but I couldn't. So, uh, so I left and then announced that I left in a very overwordy statement that should have just been much, much, uh, much less. And, uh, and then uh, the prodigy's manager, uh, well, Liam's manager, Nick Hawks, calls me up. He goes, the boys wanted to say, well done. Like, you are better off out of it. That just sounds like a shit show. And um, we just think you're so cool for, for, for having the balls to walk out on that. And so the boys said to ring me up and say, like, well done. And while I got you on the phone, I've got this idea for what you should do now you've left XFM. I, I think that somebody should do, like, the encyclopedia of electronic music. Because people are starting to die, and we need... It's such a game-changing thing for, you know, for Britain as, as, a, as a world power, you know, in music. You know, Acid House, the way that it exploded here, is, is affected in DJ culture. It's affected the world, you know. It's been good for our balance of payments. It's been good for everything. So he said, look, somebody needs to do this. So, and I can help you, because between you and me, we know everybody. In dance music, we've got to start talking to them, getting their story down, you know, because we want, we want the, the way that he phrased it was, he said, I want it to be like a free resource for future generations to know exactly what happened in the inspiration, the formation, the realization, and then the propagation of electronic music throughout the world. So he pitches this to me and I said, well, it's a really good idea, but I, I, I think it's not quite complete. I, I think that, um, because Nick, I wasn't there in 88, getting mm. my trainers muddy in yeah. those raves. That was you. You need to do this with me. And also a triangular conversation is much more interesting than a, just a ping yeah. pong, ping pong between two people. I think it would be, and I would see my, my role more as, a, as an agent provocateur, as a chair, as a, uh, a catalyst, if you like. Because you're a dance music legend. You signed the fucking prodigy. Yeah. You set up Excel records. You set up Positiva records. Mm. You know, we want to be inviting people that you know and people that I know and the people that you love and I love. And that we want to get all the movers and shakers, the people who, who not just made it, but who signed it, who played it on the radio. I want to talk to everybody from, from Annie Nightingale to Marianne Hobbs. Yeah. And we want to talk from, to everyone from, from um, Jean-Michel Jarre and Gary Newman through to Scream, yeah. you know. And we can do this, but it should be you and me. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I've never been a present. I, I'm not sure whether I... Let, he goes, let me have a think about this. And he, 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 he went off, and maybe about 20 minutes later, half an hour later, he called me up and he went, yeah, Eddie, I think I've had a think, and I think it's a good idea. I think you're right. And I've got to get over my whole fear of being a presenter and stuff. Because I just encouraged him, and I said, all you have to do is just, like, uh, you know, we talk to each other. We're just mates yeah. talking. Like, how hard is yeah. this going to be? Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, you know. And, and, and I think you're right about that triangular nature of it. I think that's really interesting. And you as a, you know, as an authoritative chair kind of yeah. thing and as an agent provocateur, I think that's a really good idea. So, 
um, let's put, come up with a wish list. I, my first, he, he said, my first one, I want to talk to my friend Renart, who is the R in R&S oh, Records. That was so interesting. And, uh, and I said, well, I mean, obviously, we can talk to, to Gary, to Gary Newman. I know he's going to be around at this time, and, you know, and, 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 and let's, you know, we need to talk to, like, to Daniel from Mute, and we need to that's talk to... That's my favourite episode. Oh, that's kind like, of you to say that. Um, that, that blew my mind. Um, I'm an Essex boy, so, you know, there was so much stuff. Hearing that the second Yazoo album was filmed in separate, recorded in separate studios, I didn't know any of this. And, like, <laughs> and hearing about how they nearly dropped Erasure. And, like, I just thought... Oh, it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And the one that... Um, I was really surprised at, and it's my ignorance, was I didn't like the M people, and I just thought, why am I going to listen to that bloke from the M people? Fuck me, Eddie. I finished that episode, and I just thought, <laughs> he's one of the most fucking coolest geezers to walk the planet. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking DJed every fucking... The yep. most important clubs in history. Yep. Signed some of the greatest bands yep. ever. Happy Mondays. And, like, and Calvin Harris, through to Calvin Harris and Kasabian. Kasabian. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I just thought, that's what I, how did I, I mean, I'm quite yeah. up to speed on my music. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, yeah. I did not know how much stuff that dude had done. And it was absolutely fascinating. That is why we wanted to do Trailblazers. And that's why we wanted to do it in a holistic way. Yeah. We didn't want to just do the legends like Gary Newman and yeah. Paul Oakenfold and, you know, and so on and so forth. We wanted to do like Mike Pickering, you know, yeah. Mike Pickering, like who I, and you and me, we both know our music. And at that yeah. point I knew him as the tall guy in M people. Yeah. And I'd interviewed him many times as that in the nineties. And, uh, and I knew him as a resident at the Hacienda. Yeah. I had no idea that he was, an A and R for Factory Records. I had no idea that he'd signed the Happy Mondays. Unbelievable. And and um, I, I had an idea that he, yeah, that I, I knew that he'd at that point. I knew that he'd signed, you know, Calvin Harris and Kasabian. Yeah. And I wanted, I really wanted to yeah. to big him up and yeah. to talk about this, just so that everybody knows just how amazing this guy is. You know, he's a a true trailblazer. Yeah. And uh, that's what it's about. It's it's about those kind of relatively unsung heroes. Absolutely. You know, we just talked to M J Cole. Yeah. That's the latest one, you know, wow. the guy who just, he didn't even know he was inventing a genre and he invented UK Garage, like years before it even happened yeah. with Sincere. And, you know, the whole full story of that will be on Trailblazers. Go and um, listen to it. Oh, thank you. And, 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 and you, you mentioned like being recorded in different places. That's now being recorded in a different place because, because so to, to, to finish off the story of how of course, it started, yeah. and which brings us back to the, to the lovely man, Chris Bourne again. Um, Chris said to me, when, so when, when I was leaving X, during the, because we, we were toing and froing with my statement and how it would be presented and stuff. And it, it sort of, we had lots of meetings and, and stuff. And at the last meeting, he said, um, he said listen, Ed, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. If you say exactly why you're leaving, it will sink us. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if... 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side and well really i mean he he, he used that word he used that phrase but you know i i think it would have hampered them more than that would be the, the you know more realistic but uh because you know an enemy and people like that were lining up to talk to me about why i left he said look if you publicly say nothing i mean we all know why but privately but if you publicly say nothing you can continue you can use our studios at global for anything that you want except for six music. And um, so I said, okay, yeah, you know, that's, that's fine. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, you know, I don't mind. I mean, that's, I just thought ahead and I just thought, well, you know, Nick's come up with this idea for Trailblazers. This is going to be absolutely golden. Yeah. We, we can effectively do a, a, a whole series of, of podcasts or, yeah. and whatever I want. I can do demos for other stations or whatever. And so I was in Global more than I was <laughs> when I actually worked for them. In that, for that, I, I think it was like about 18 months. Oh, they must have thought, oh, I, I thought was, we got rid of him. Uh, Fuck's sake, uh, every day now. Yeah, yeah, and then Chris <laughs> left with these. And then, and, then I, and, then I, and then that stopped when I, I did my first show for Virgin. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even a Virgin DJ, but, yeah. I, but there was a picture of me went online with me next to a Virgin logo. And then I got a, uh, I got an email from, from the new boss, lovely man, just going, oh, you know, my boss has said that you're going to have to not come in the building anymore. You've effectively been, you know, you, you've been outed because, like, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, and, uh, and, and so, so it stopped there. But like, I'll, I'll be, I'm so grateful to, to Chris yeah. for, um, for, you know, 
for basically making that a reality. And then how brilliant that he then went to Deezer. Yeah. And he was the one who uh, who who took Trailblazers to Deezer. Right? Yeah. You know, we 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 had recorded the whole first ep- first series, mm. like I say, in in XFM Studios, and uh, and then and I took it to to Deezer, and they got it. And his boss, you know, the French boss of Deezer, sees it as a as a kind of a legacy project Fantastic. and so you know we're, we're hoping for series three to focus a bit more on france because we've we've found a really amazing audience in france because french you know no not much love for the brits mm-hmm. and in in french deezer there's not much love for the brit deezer podcast mm. but apparently there's lots of love for trailblazers it does better than all the other ones so oh, so amazing. so we want to capitalize on that and do some some of our french trailblazers that we've always had yeah on our wish list. So, you know, Jean-Michel Jarre, and uh, we want to do Pedro, um, as in Daft Punk's manager, because yeah. Daft Punk will never talk to anyone. Uh, and other people know him as Busy P and the boss of Ed Banger Records. Um, which, uh, and, and, uh, and, and we want to do uh, Etienne de Cressy, super discount guy. Amazing. So, uh, but, but Ed Banger then leads us to Perfectly. the other... As almost like a professional segue I like that. To, to, the, to the other part of my clubbing life, which was as a DJ, mm-hmm. you, know, as a, you know, as a working and whatever, you know, in, in, in demand in, in various, uh, various parts of that spectrum for the last 20 years. Uh, and the, the tune that soundtracks my kind of club life, the most beloved part of my club life. And when I was... Really busy, you know, DJing three, four times a week was uh, uh, Never Be Alone by Simeon. So they were a band that I really helped with. Like, you know, I don't think many people really liked Simeon, um, but I, I certainly loved them and gave them lots of support on the remix. And then two of the guys in that band, Jas and James, came and did a boat party that that I, I did a remix boat party. And uh, they thought, they said, well, we, we want to come and do a, like a techno thing that we've just had an idea to start. And that was the first, and we want to call it Simeon Mobile Disco. And that was the first Simeon Mobile Disco gig was wow. on that boat. And um, so, so then when, they, when that band did, uh, they, they did this remix competition. Like I started doing remix competitions for the compilation that I did with the compilations that I did with, uh, with Virgin Records. And it became a thing, you know, people started doing remix competitions and the internet was really finding its legs then. And, you know, people were uploading, bands were uploading their separate parts for, for other people to have a crack at. And it was a thing. And it was a big excuse thing. Excuse me. Well. Yeah, yeah, it became a big thing. You know, that and mashups at the time. Mm. And uh, so Simeon got involved with that. And they uploaded the parts for their tune, Never Be Alone. And these two kids from Paris, uh, uh, Gaspar and uh, Xavier did this remix. They downloaded the parts and did this mix. And I think it was DJ Hell who... It didn't even win the competition. Um, That's so, how that track ju- happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. Justice v. Simeon. So this, so t- a few people will know what I'm talking about, but to everyone else who doesn't know what I'm talking about, this is we are the track that everyone calls We Are Your Friends. Yeah. Um, the, you know, and they think of it as a justice track and it kind of is, but it was, that's how it happened. And, and the funny thing is that, that Xavier and Gaspar didn't win the competition, even though it was by far the best mix. 
And it's because Jas and James and all the other guys in Simeon were on tour at the time and they were listening to all of the stuff in a laptop. That's why I never listen on a laptop because you never, you don't hear 80% of the record. Well, yeah. I was exaggerating slightly, but you don't hear a big chunk of the record. And um, so they didn't hear the lovely, glorious bass end because they were listening yeah. to it. It was just like, it sounded really wrong. Yeah. And um, overloaded and like, you know, and, uh, and, and farty. And so it didn't win. Uh, what I one? can't even remember. I can't even remember to tell you the truth who won it. I played it because, yeah. like, you know, we were ch- pals and I was helping yeah. them out with the competition and stuff and, and, and helping them to get bums on seats for the remixes with my community. Yeah. So, but I very quickly cottoned on to the Justice versus Simeon one. I think it was DJ Hell I have to give credit for, 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 um, for uh, really twigging with that. Yeah. And then it came to me as a white label bit of vinyl from international DJ Gigolos. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. This is like the best thing I've heard out of France since Daft Punk. Yeah. It might even be better. It's like dirtier and punkier and there's something really wrong about it. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and, and Simeon absolutely, you know, love the mix now and, and will maintain that it's the best one. But at the time, like, it, you know, hilariously didn't win. So that track... You know, so I was probably the first person to play it on UK radio because I was playing it off a off a gigolo twelve inch, yeah. and um, and then it just kind of went off from there, and then it kind of kicked off, and then Zane got hold of it, and then he played it, and then like other people started playing it, and um, it became a huge track, and then Virgin signed it, and it became Justice versus Simeon, yeah. We Are Your Friends, you know, it, but it wasn't it wasn't called We Are Your Friends, it was called Never Be Alone. That was the actual name of the track, and you know, I still to this day. Get hands in the air. It's, it's an incredible. When I record. play that, that record, wherever I could be anywhere, I can be anywhere and play that record. It'll get a great response. Well, from Sheffield to Paris, should we go back to the valleys for this one then? Oh yeah, so yeah. So this is six. It's a song from your hometown, Eddie. Yes. Well, okay. I had to stretch this a little bit because my hometown is Cardiff, and. I'm counting the Manic Street Preachers as a Cardiff band because they live in Cardiff now and their studio is in Cardiff. I know that they are from Blackwood in Gwent. It's like 20 minutes down the road. You can have it, mate. I'll let you. So, so um, you know, I mean, the more obvious one, I, I mean, I like, Karis Matthews was born in the same hospital as me. But the thing is, I don't have the emotional attachment to Catatonia no. that I have to the Manic Street Preachers. I really really love that band and they mean an awful lot to me and for lots of reasons i mean in 1998 they asked to be interviewed by me on mtv as their first time that they were going to be interviewed after richie had died and i was incredibly honored by that but i mean i was blown away by that and I was blown away by how... I knew how well-read they were going to be, especially Nicky. And I was blown away by how... And I knew how politically, like, motivated and astute and aware they were. They're on point always. Yeah, but the thing that really surprised me were, was, was James... James and Nicky, like, latched onto the fact that I'm half Iranian and that f- I'm from a very political family from Iran. And they were incredibly interested in that. And they were just probing me on that. 
And, you know, Nikki was like, and they were both like, oh, we need to carry on this conversation. But we never really did actually carry on that conversation. But, but I, I then later on in my life, uh, that was 1998. So then fast forward to 2013 when I had a really, really bad year. And uh, it's, it's, I've covered this in, screw, in, in distraction pieces, but I, I, I won't go into the whys and the wherefores, but I, I became suicidal, really seriously suicidal at that time. And I uh, did that thing that a lot of people do where I wanted to, and it's a very dangerous thing, I wanted to copycat someone. And this is the double-edged sword of talking about suicide or... Um, and that kind of stuff, because you know, my aim is to is to try to get people to talk, uh, and absolutely not to copycat. But inevitably, that does happen. So, I became obsessed, and this obsession was uh, was 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 fueled by uh, by someone, who, I guess, with an agenda that really wanted me to to to, to be depressed. And I was I was being fueled to to become more and more obsessed with Richie. And uh, when it got down to it, I had located the space that he parked his car in. I knew exactly what he did. I knew that he had a certain amount of uh, tapes that he'd listened to, or was it CDs? Oh, his tapes that he'd listened to, you know, before he uh, jumped off that bridge. And he left his clothes there and I was going to do, ex I was going to park in the same place. I was going to listen to the same amount of, of CDs for me. And, uh, and then I was going to go and do it. And uh, so I really feel the Manic Street Preachers. I really can identify with how vividly, emotionally, uh, skin-flayingly real, like Richie must have felt <clears throat> when he did that. And those, the lyrics on the Holy Bible are, for me, the most difficult lyrics to listen to of any record that's ever been made. I think they're the most... Uh, uh, honest is not the right word. Like, uh, the, ch the song that I've chosen is Faster. Uh, and, it, and it comes from a conversation that I had with a magazine. I can't remember who it was, Q or somebody years ago asked me, what's your favorite lyric of a song ever? And I said, it's Faster by the Manics because it's the most empathic. Sorry, I'm going to just have a little gulp of tea. It's the most empathic bit of songwriting, of lyric writing that has ever been in my view. I think it is, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, you know, when you, if you talk about empathy in songwriting, you can empathize very easily with someone who's suffering. It's easy, you know, we all do it when we give to charity, when we see a poor guy in the street or, you know, a friend is suffering. <clears throat> it's so easy to have empathy. But to empathize with someone who causes suffering, the first line of that song is, I am an architect, they call me a butcher. So he's put his mind, he's put himself into the mind of a Hitler, a Milosevic, a Stalin, you know. And he's thinking 
from behind those eyes. And that, to me, is the most powerful thing. I think it's an astonishing lyric. And I think it's a really brave lyric. And if you remind yourself of that, go to YouTube now, have a look, just go Mannix faster. Have a look at that video. And <clears throat> on the plus side of this, how fucking sexy do they look? Seeing, it's, it, it's shot in a white studio with those guys, like it blurred out at the beginning and then it sort of slowly comes into focus in that very sexy way. And seeing three men on the front line, towers, on the front line of the Manic Street Preachers is like seeing old footage of New York with the, tw with the Twin Towers still standing. Because you now it's just two people. Mm. And, and it, it, for me, it is, it is as calamitous, you know. Mm. Um, but how incredible do they look? And it's, it's, it's a visceral song. It's great production. It's, you know, that lyric writing right at the front of it. And, and uh, there's moments where James looking gaunt and uh, beardy and uh, young and sexy and uh, like imploring and, and, and almost sick with uh, like, you know, he's got that kind of, I, 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 I'm going to say heroin chic, even though the heroin wasn't happening, I'm sure for him. I, 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 I don't even know, but he's got that kind of, that um, druggy glamour look that I looked for in the pop stars that I, you know, worshipped, yeah. you know. It, it's it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal video. It's an incredible song. It's it, the lyrics are astonishing, and uh, God, I you know, Nicky's done such a good job stepping into those shoes of of Richie Edwards. Uh, I think Richie Edwards is is probably the greatest lyricist, with respect to Mike Skinner, and Scroobius Pip, and Ian Dury. These all of those guys are are up there are up there with Richie. And it, depending on what day of the week it is and what song I'm sure, listening to, I might, pick, I might pick either of those guys, you know. They've all, they've all made me cry and laugh at, at some time. And when the Manics broke through, they, they were like nothing else that was going on at that point either. It was like the way they looked, the things that they were saying, like, I just remember hearing, I think it was probably Love Sweet Exile was the first... Manix track I heard and I remember seeing them and just thinking I Richie was a, clearly a beautiful specimen of a man wasn't he he just looked absolutely oh, yeah. like, stunning yeah and 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 they were they were talking all anything they were being really controversial but they were citing their influences considering they looked like almost like a glam rock band to a degree at that point it was when they had this all white and the slogans sprayed all over them but they were citing things like Public Enemy as an influence. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was, and I just remember thinking, wow, this is, this is really strange. And it was like some of the guitar solos were, were a little bit cock rock on, 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 on uh, Generation Tourists. And it was like a yeah. real... It, when you think of everything else that was going on in alternative music, that man didn't sit in, in any of them kind of like holes that was, that was going on. It, it yeah. didn't... It didn't and credit to them, and and the and the just the fucking solid songs that they had yeah. that, that, that cut through. I remember just thinking, even things like 
you know, You Love Us and Slash and Burn were great rock records, but it was the pop hooks that I just thought, they're really fucking good pop songs as well. And it was Little Baby Nothing that cut that on for me. Yeah. I just thought, this is genius. And it was Tracy Laws, wasn't it, that that, that done mm. the vocal, I believe, that I think latter Kylie sang with them quite a few times, yeah, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. But hearing Little Baby Nothing, I was like, this is just a brilliant record. And there's so much more than just a... A, a rock band. There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's you know, like you, 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 yeah, absolutely. I, I, they're so important culturally to the UK, and like you say, incredible songwriting band. You know, you can draw. Of course, you can draw parallels to the Sex Pistols, just as you can draw parallels to Public Enemy, just as you can draw parallels to Guns and Roses. But then there's also like to Motown Soul, yeah, yeah. and Motown. You know, Motown, Motown Junk. Junk was, of yeah. course, like ref, was referenced there. But you know, to to that Phil Spector Wall of Sound, yeah. Stax Records, like um, you know, thing like oh, of so just a great song that's yeah. got a beginning and middle and an end yeah. you know and uh, I, I think that they are culturally so important for us that band I think that they were fearless at shining a light in places where people don't want light lights or you know people would rather they weren't shone on yeah. you know and and, and, and they started with that great bravado and all that sloganeering. And like you say, they were and doing the, things the, that nobody else was doing. And the like, fucking for real, like on, the, on Richie's well, arm was yeah. a harrowing thing to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, it, it haunts me to this day. And was that, was it, that in it, it haunts me. To I, Lamac, was it? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, La, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lamac, Lamac said something to them about, you know, are you, uh, are you actually, I can't remember what the question was, but he was, he was questioning their integrity. Yeah. And, and questioning their, uh, their, their, you know, well, that. Yeah. And so that's why Richie wanted to say, you know, he, I think Steve was, was, was playing devil's advocate, as yeah. any good journalist should do, and respect to him for that. Um, I, I think he was just questioning, you know, in that way. And Richie's response was to oh, carve into his arm. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, just, you know, Google... Richie, Richie Edwards, fall, or just, just the number four and real, and do an image search on that. If you're squeamish, don't do don't. it. Because, it's no, but it is really, uh, it's it's really disturbing. Pop he went right to yeah, across the went, chest. It's a deep. Yeah, yeah. He went far too deep on the, on the, on the four, yeah. as, in, by his own admission, you know, when you read uh, Simon Price's incredible book. Everything. So I've not read that. I've not read that. Uh, I shall uh, lend it to you. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's one of the greatest books. Uh, it's, it's, it's my favorite. Um, music uh book that was like written by a band but like i'm not i'm my favorite music biography is the story of the streets by mike skinner and that's my absolute favorite music book ever but my favorite band biography which uh which the story of the streets isn't because it's an autobiography yeah. is everything by simon price who would have been a journalist at the maker at that point yeah the yeah. Maker yeah their yeah. career yeah. i guess and, and and he was a manic obsessive yeah and it comes across uh, and you need an obsessive, really, to do it, to do, to do it justice. justice. They're one of those really special bands. Like, you, you can't talk about them without talking about their fans. Like, they're one of, that, one of those special bands that inspire people in a way, you know, there's, like, fandom, and then there's, like, this godlike Valhalla tier of bands that inspire devotion that is a, at a religious level. And the Manic Street Preachers would be one of those bands. Gary Newman would be another one. Placebo would be another one. And actually the 1975 would be another one. I have recently discovered this. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm very evangelical about that band now. How, how many 
How many bands that have been going, oh, well, Manic's been going probably nearly 25, 30 years now, I guess. Like, it would have been 91, 92, the Manics first burst onto the scene. Yeah, I think they, yeah, they, I think, was it 1990 that Heavenly signed them? I would have thought so. And to this day, they still have hordes of people in tiaras and feather boas yeah. turning yeah. up to their shows. Yeah, and they'll have three generations of, peop- of, of, of people at their, at their yeah. shows, like a prodigy gig. You yeah, know? absolutely. Okay, so this is your last track, Eddie. And, uh, and, and it's, a good, it's a good question for you because, you know, it's been your job for, for many, many years at, at X and, and now at Virgin to say to people, look, if you don't know this, give it a listen. You might like it. So it's your choice now. Which is a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. A song that many might not know. So when you say many, many of the people that would listen to this podcast might not know. Possibly. Or many people generally. In because, general, yeah. Because that would affect my answer. Because if it was... Well, you've gone for two anyway, well, mate. Well, I mean, but that, because that, that depends on how you slant that. Because if it's... Uh, because in my mind, the kind of people that would listen to this podcast and, and you and your mates, and I'm generalising here, and I'm yeah. sorry if I am, if I am generalising here, but I would assume, I would make an assumption about you that you would probably not be a 1975 fan or that you, you, you probably wouldn't get it or that, that you would think, as I did, right. as I did, so they're not me, for me. Let me tell you how this rolls, right? Right. Because it's your fault. Right. Go on. So, chocolate and stuff like that? Yeah. No, nah, I didn't do it for yeah, me. me and I was like, who's this dude thinks he's Michael Hutchins? I'm not into it. I'm just <laughs> not feeling it. And it's like, I just didn't get it. Then I see a Facebook post saying, I've just heard this album, blah, blah, blah. I've got it wrong about this band. And it was your post saying about the 1975. And admitting how wrong. Well, you know. Because you'd interviewed Matt Healy at Virgin, was it? Yeah. So literally in and around that time, one of the renegade or one of the people that sent me my, my promos for the DJing sent me the album. Yeah. And I just thought... I'm going to download it onto my iPod, because I still have an iPod in the car, <laughs> because if Eddie's feeling it, I'm going to give it a go. Oh, that's sweet. And I put it on, and the lead single, which was... oh Two Time? No. Uh, oh, uh, the, it was... Um, uh, uh, um, 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 a terrible name, naming... Almost got songs. Like, an arpeggio, like... It's, it's, oh, God. Um, uh, so... <laughs> it's not living if it's not with you no, no. the other one so uh, it's um... anyway yeah that <laughs> I heard that single and I was like this is fucking great yeah and I thought right I'm going to go and listen to that album now and I pretty much not stopped listening to that album yeah that single that very single that you're talking about the, the, and the name of which we, just under pressure we can't think of um, that was what pricked my ears up. Yeah. Because we were playing it on Virgin. And um, it's got a really nice guitar line. Yeah. And it's the third track on the album, I think. Yeah, I'm not being rude. <coughs> I've got my phone yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You carry yeah, on chatting. Yeah. I'm just trying to find out what it's called because it's driving me mad. So we were, um, we, were, we were playing that. And it was, it was clearly like there was some lyrics that were... Give yourself a try. Give yourself a try. Yes, that's right. Give yourself a try. And I... There were some lyrics on there that were clearly like a heroin thing, like a drug thing. And I'm old-fashioned. I like my pop stars 
to be the ones that I really love, like androgynous, druggy, you know, sometimes heroin addicted, yeah. you know, painfully thin and like Richie and like yeah. all those guys, like, you know, David Bowie in, in that fear phase. And, and um, I heard this song and I just thought, hang on a minute, I think I've, this, this is the 1975, because I thought they were like a boy band or something. Yeah. They just never really, never did it for me at all. Mm. And I, I'm not saying I got it wrong before because I don't, I'm not, still not emotionally connected to the old songs. But I got given, I was told that I, was, I had to interview Matty Healy from the 1975 for Virgin Radio for an album special. And I had at that point made that and the next two singles my record of the week. And, and I'm doing this as, an, I'm not a fan of the 1975 and I'm making, I keep making these songs my record of the week. Like I really, really like them. Yeah. And then I got the record and I listened to the record and with no expectations, no baggage at all. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about them. I wasn't engaged in any way. I listened to that record the night before I interviewed him or maybe two nights before. And I just thought, fuck me sideways. This is incredible. This is properly mind-blowingly important. I just listened to it and I just thought, it's making me laugh and it's making me cry. It's heartbreaking and it's hilarious. It's playful. It's so emotional. It's got these really clever lyrics. These like, you know, you mentioned give yourself a try. Um, What's it? Uh, what would you say to your younger self? What would you say to your younger self? Growing a beard's quite hard, and whiskey never starts to taste nice. And then when the, the next line is, and you'll make a lot of money, and it's funny because you'll move to somewhere sunny and get addicted to drugs. I thought, wow, this is like so honest. It's my kind of record, this, and. And I was listening to him, to an auto, him singing through auto tune, and thinking, <coughs> sorry, I, thinking, I hate auto tune generally, but I'm somehow finding this emotional. I'm getting this. I'd heard that the album was going to be called A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships, and I could get that as a songwriter, from a songwriter point of view. I thought, well, that's a really rich theme. And I got that whole two-time, two-time thing. You know, and he, it sounded like a happy robot. It's like the voice on OK, the robot voice on OK Computer. You know, nobody hates on Tom York for, yeah. for, for putting a robot cool. voice on a record. It's a very emotional record. And I'm listening to this record and I'm just thinking, oh my God, this is like, this is, this is a record that defines the time in the same way that the first Streets album did. Yeah. It's a record that absolutely defines the times that we're living in, the relationships that we have that are online. And I'm not just talking about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but just like your WhatsApp group that you, you, you talk to with all your friends. We are looking at our phones all the freaking time. And yeah. you know, I, I had this, when I talked to Pip on distraction pieces, like look up. I, try, I never look at my phone when I'm walking the street. I'm always looking up at roofs and buildings and shops yeah. and people. You know, I want to see people's eyes. I want to see what they're wearing. I want to see the cars. I want to see the ground and the sky and the birds sure. and the trees. 
And um, so I got it. I, I got that Matty was trying to kind of come across like a robot or like a, a piece of technology and that he was using autotune as, as, as an instrument. Yeah. So then when I talked to him and I said to him, look, I'm, I'm not a fan. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, really honestly, I'm feeling really emotional right now. I almost want to cry because your records affected me. Like, I, I think it's the, it's the album of the year by a mile. But I'm saying this not as a fan. I don't like your band. Don't think, you know, I never got it. And he was incredibly, he was very moved by that. We got on really, really well. And um, it was a joy, actually. It was, it was the most profoundly moving interview I've ever done. Is that, is that available for people to listen to? <coughs> yes, it's on YouTube. It's, you can, uh, yes, it's absolutely. You can, it's YouTube. You see the whole thing on, on YouTube. And uh, he's so impressive and so intelligent. And he's exactly how I want my pop stars to be. Yeah. And uh, I even said to him at one point, because between that first record, Give Yourself a Try, and when I met him, I, I, I got it. I got him. I started, I started looking a little bit at, at, at what he was saying and stuff, what other people were saying about him and how he was coming across. And he was coming out as having been addicted to heroin. And the, the, he was certainly seemed like a much more interesting person, person for having been through that struggle. And you know me well, and you know that I think people are better and more noble when they go through, when they struggle. Same as a vine. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the better bottle of wine is made by the vine that struggles, always. So I put out a tweet that said something like, uh, what did I say? I went, um, I think this is the, rock star, the pop star, rock star that I've been missing all these years. People are saying, like, where are, are all the rock stars gone? I think this is it. I think this man is it. And I put a picture up of Matty. And I got so much stick. I had people that I really like and respect, like Ghost Poet, coming out and, and laying into me. And, um, but I will, I will now take a bullet for that band, and for Matty especially, I think that he's, I think that Matty is a lyric writer that is up there now with, with the likes of Richie. And I think that the, the band have matured into, I think, the most impressive band in the UK at the moment. And I think that a huge amount of kudos has to go to George, the drummer of that band, who is their producer. The magic glimmer twins in that band are Matty and George. Mm. They make the records. Matty writes them. George produces them. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what percentage music-wise falls under, uh, under, you know, which brain, but George is a genius producer. And that word is overused these days, but I'm going to say it. He's a fucking genius. That record makes me think of Brian Eno, Genius to burial, freaking genius in terms of production. And their live show is astonishing. That it's the most creative use of a single stage that I've ever seen in my life. And you know how many gigs I've been to. Yeah. So, sorry to get so evangelical, but this new 1975 record, A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships, is the most important record of this era. And you might not like it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. Vive la différence. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it is the most culturally important album in these times. 
And I would urge you to listen to it with an open heart and an open mind and to take away any preconceptions you might have about this band or about the fact that he's a showbiz kid and his dad was in Alveda saying pet and his mom's in Loose Women. I didn't know any of this stuff when I listened to that record. Mm. <clears throat> I listened to it completely without baggage and, and my responses to Matty were just emotional. I just was like, this is how this makes me feel. And he responded in a really, really open way. And it is, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that it is the best, profoundly and by a mile, the best thing interview that I've ever done in 27 years of radio, that interview. Wow, there's, there, there's a reason to go and watch it right there. Yeah, you'll be impressed. He, he's, he's adorable and so yeah. clever. Uh, you know, he's just how you want a young person to be. And he's how I want a pop star to be. You know, he's so interesting. He, and he's got that androgyny. And he's got that, the, the ex-drug addiction. Yeah. And, and he's, uh, he's really, uh, and he's got the moves. You know, he comes across like Fred Astaire sometimes, yeah. or like Michael Jackson. And, and when he's performing live, he, he ticks all the boxes for me. And like I say, I would take a bullet for him and for them now. Wow. Well, I don't think anyone's ever put a case forward for uh, going and listening to something you may not have heard before. Uh, any better than that, Eddie. Um, you did put two. Oh, yeah. Well, so well, the other one was... Uh, sorry to, to harp on, but so the other one was a band that you haven't heard of. Yeah. So I, 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 I'd be surprised if you had listened to this band. Um, they are called uh, Muna, M-U-N-A. They are a, uh, an all-girl band from LA, I think from University of Southern California art department, uh, music department, sorry, music department. <clears throat> um, so like I say, three girls, they play, they write, they produce, they're really talented. Um, and there was this track that I found through, actually it was just, it was kind of through the 1975, it was through, no, it was through Pale Waves, who I kind of know about through the 1975, because yeah. they're on the same record label. And, uh, the, the Pale Waves said something nice about me on Twitter the other week because uh, I made their new single, My Record of the Week. <coughs> Excuse me. And I just had a quick look at, on Twitter of who they follow. I thought it would be interesting to see. And uh, one of the people that they followed was Muna, this band. So I just went down that wormhole and I just, oh, who's this? And I, and I clicked and then I listened to their music and I just thought, whoa, this is like modern gay disco. But like, um, it's really emotional and it's, it's, it's really saying something to me. And I love the production and I love the melody and I love the scansion. And uh, it, it's called I Know A Place. And then that led me down a YouTube wormhole. And then I found this track called Everything. And uh, it is like the definition of an emotional track. You know, it is really really properly emotional so i would urge you to go and uh, find it uh, muna m-u-n-a they and i love the fact that on twitter they it's, it's it's muna and it just says the greatest band in the world they've got that 
self-confidence <laughs> and bravado that you know embrace had when they first started yeah. and all those and, and and the manics had which is yeah. they just when you just have that belief yeah. you have that belief that comes with it comes from a place of love you know in youth you know you you really love what you do and you don't care you don't give a fuck because you know that you are in the best band yeah. and when the manics started they were the best band in the world yeah. and when embrace you know at that moment that they were the best band in the world that's yeah. what they believed in their universe they absolutely were yeah and i and i bolt wholeheartedly into both of those yeah you know those and and i'm on board with moona i think they're amazing I, every track that they've done i absolutely love i don't even know that they've got an album out um, I need to not ask uh, Steph from Columbia Records because that's where they are now. They've been signed. But yeah, go and check them out. I, I think that if you, um, if you like her, if you don't mind a, a lightness of loafer in your music, uh, I think you'll, you'll, there'll be a, 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 a big you know, place in your heart for this band. Wonderful, wonderful. So what are you up to at the moment then, Eddie? Still on Virgin? I, uh, well, yes, I, yes, I'm, I'm on Virgin every day. I'm basically doing uh, 10 shows a week for Virgin. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing so much there that I'm having to cut back on everything else. So uh, I'm, I do 10 till 1 uh, every day. I'm the uh, pair of hands, safe or otherwise, that Chris Evans uh, must hand over to every day. That, that must be... Big news at Virgin then, having yes. Chris Evans coming back. That's, it's not that's just, huge, yeah. isn't it's it? It's not just big news for us. It's big news for radio. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's a game-changer show. I don't know whether you know this, but he... So he migrated from Radio 2. You, mm -hmm. you know this. We all know this. But it, that, that show is ad-free on a commercial radio station. Wow. There is not one single advert. I mean, yeah, they mention the Sky more than they might do because Sky are the sponsor of the whole show. And that's fair enough. And that's actually loads of things to talk about, you know. So, but there are no ad breaks. So, you know, you're not pummeled by yeah. Jamie Oliver's New Delhi or whatever it is every 20 minutes. Yeah. So uh, it's, <clears throat> it's great for us. It's going to be great for us on so many levels. Obviously, our uh, audience has increased. And at the next Rage Art, will increase exponentially we've had a little jump lift in the last one but that was pre-chris so i can only uh, i'll have to enjoy this moment of being the most listened to show on virgin radio officially <laughs> uh, only for the next three months and, uh, and bask uh, knowing that actually i'm not anywhere near at the moment but the way that uh, the figures works is you know sort of three months in arrears sure. so um so, so yeah, uh, I'm doing <clears throat> this show, which I absolutely love, on Virgin Radio proper. And Virgin Radio have launched two new digital channels as along with Chris Starting, Virgin Anthems and Virgin Chilled. And I do a show every day on Virgin Chilled from two till six. So uh, I've unfortunately for now had to just take a little break from Soho Radio and the remix. Still happening, but other people are doing it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, lovely people. Josie Carter, who's a DJ, a DJ that I absolutely adore, is doing my slot on the first Friday. And then uh, <clears throat> we've got uh, Decode, who is doing the second Friday. And then uh, Lee Dixon, who's a great techno DJ and who I've uh, encouraged to be more eclectic and he has really risen to that. And he's brilliant. And then Eden Blackman, uh, who many people know as uh, the beautiful man on Celebs Go Dating and massive Van Halen fan and, uh, uh, and lead, lead singer, guitar player in Van Driver, uh, a 
the band that came second in the UK Air Guitar Championships the year 2000 with me on drums, on air drums. Very proud of that. Fantastic. Very proud of that, Stu. So, uh, so apart from the radio, uh, I'm, there's something that I'm really, really uh, passionate about, as you know, which is mental health. I'm continuing... Well, I, I have a role as the chair of the music board of Calm, and I, I think that's probably realistically going to have to be passed over to someone else, and I'll retain my role as, a, as an ambassador for Calm. And uh, I'm... I'm helping someone uh, called Nikki to start a new mental health charity called My Black Dog. And uh, actually, this would be a really good opportunity to, uh, just as the last thing, if anyone's lasted this long in this podcast, respect to you. Uh, if you have been through any kind of a mental health thing and you feel like your experience has made you stronger and wiser, and it almost certainly has, and you feel like you might want to help some other people, um, then go to My Black Dog, uh, the website. Uh, I need to, actually, I need to, let me get the exact website, but you, you, you need to go there and um, volunteer uh, because it, the, the whole way that this works is not like Samaritans or Calm where you just call a free and confidential helpline and talk to a person. Um, you get a buddy. It, it's on a buddy system. So uh, the idea is that you'll get the number of someone like you or me or Pip, someone who has been through it. And you, you get us texting you every day or calling you, making sure you're all right. You, you have us as a shoulder to cry on or somebody to listen to or, you know, somebody who, who sure. can empathize with you. So um, I, need to, uh, I need to find uh, my black dog. Here it is. So... It is myblackdog.co. .co. Yeah, just quite, just simple as that. If you put .com or .co.uk, you will find, because there's lots of other myblackdogs. So it's myblackdog.co. And uh, that is this new mental health charity that I'm really, we're at just that sort of getting funding stage. We've got a f quite a few volunteers now already, and they have these open evenings and stuff to get more. But please, you know, share it sign up if you think you can help uh, we need all the help we can get we are in a a mental health hole in this country at the moment what with uh, a combination a perfect storm of social media putting so much pressure on people um and a an, an incredibly catastrophically uncaring government who said that they were going to increase uh spending david cameron said he was going to increase spending on on um on mental health and then uh, proceeded to cut it by 40%. Um, so, you know, this whole austerity thing is, is catastrophic and they're, they're wondering why everyone's stabbing each other. It's not fucking rocket science. You take away all the, all the you, you go into austerity, take away all the youth services, take away all the mental health spending that was in place under the Labour government. Of course, everyone's going to start stabbing each other. It's not, you know, like I say, it's not rocket science, but I don't want to disappear down a political wormhole. But just, uh, you know, myblackdog.co, they'll need, we, 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 all, we have to do this ourselves. We cannot rely on the government. We, we have to help each other out. And that's what My Black Dog is all about. Wonderful, wonderful. Eddie? As I expected, it's been an absolute pleasure. And way longer than you probably wanted it to be. But I'm, and I apologise for that. And I can talk tunes to you all day long, mate. That was absolutely cracking. Thank you so much, mate. Always a pleasure. I knew it was going to be good. Thank you. Lovely. Do love a two-parter. The reason you have a two-parter is simple. 
the conversation doesn't want to end. And like so many of the podcasts that, that I've recorded, uh, sometimes I wish I could just leave the, the recorder going because some of the stories that come out afterwards are just are just fantastic. It's because, you know, an hour or so in, you, you've, you've kind of formed that connection with the guest and and you're chatting away and, and then when it finishes, you just, you, you almost feel, you know, you, there is definitely a connection when you do podcasts with people if, if, if you don't do podcasts. You, um, but if you do, then I'm sure you're aware of that. If you sit down with a total stranger, you especially with this type of, you know, the, the kind of interview and life story style podcast, you find out a hell of a lot about someone within an hour. And, you know, you know full eye contact and completely engaged in in a one-to-one conversation it's very difficult not to fill a connection with these people after that and 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 like I knew it would be with Eddie it was it was wonderful and and a real joy to 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 listen to his song selections and uh and to talk about his his career path and uh and his creativity um that's me done. Thanks ever so much for listening. Please go like, love, share, tweet, retweet, Facebook, Insta, all of that shebang. Please go and get involved and uh, and tell the world about this podcast called Off The Beat and Track because I love doing it and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well popbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.